you can't in your adulthood all of a sudden start rooting for Duke. That is like a sign that you're a psychopath. Hello, you know who it is. That's Jason Concepcion. We've got a great show for you today on the Take Line program. Joining me today is one of my favorite people, truly one of my favorite people in the world. I think one of the funniest human beings on the planet, Jamel Johnson, one of the biggest sports fans I know. Also, uh, Jamel Johnson, how are you? Hey, how you doing? Also joining us will be a University of Illinois Russian law expert and law professor Peter Mags, who's going to uh, walk us through the continued imprisonment of WNBA star Brittany Griner in Russia. Uh, Josh Robinson of the Wall Street Journal uh, will join us to talk about the UEFA Champions League ahead of the competition's quarterfinal this coming weekend. And finally, uh, we've got a great, great, great version of Take Survivor for you at the end of the program, the triumphant return of Take Survivor. Uh, let's get into the program. First, it is Sunday, and as we are taping this, like a half hour ago, uh, the UNC Tar Heels throttled St. Peter's Peacocks, the 15th seed, the hard-charging 15th seed that had everybody talking, has throttled them out of March Madness, out of the tournament, setting up an iconic matchup in the Final Four, UNC versus Duke in Mike Krzyzewski's final year. Um, Jamel, are you watching March Madness, and do you have any thoughts about any of these teams? Uh, Yes, I am watching March Madness. You knew Duke was going to make a run just based mm-hmm. off the way their regular season ended. Come on. Oh, you! Oh, Coach K lost at home. Oh, no. <laughs> oh, no, it can't end like this. How, how it, you soon know. You, you know we're going to see the uh, – I, I expect it anytime soon. We're going to see the take, oh, that was the wake-up call that Duke needed. The loss, you know, that loss uh, against UNC at home – uh, that was exactly what was necessary for Duke to kind of get their act together and do this. I'm glad, and I'm I'm glad. Listen, St. Peter's is a great story. I've enjoyed it. You believe it was that? Fun. It was fun. It's what March Madness is. It's what people turn into March Madness to see. They tune in to see like Matt Stainbrook, who was driving an Uber while playing center for for Xavier, like put up. 15 and six in an elite eight game. That's what they tune in. They tune in to see, uh, you know, dudes who look like they should be the bully in an eighties action comedy spearheading a 15 seed to the elite eight. That's what little Sam Rockwell, little Sam Rockwell (laughs) was the the heart of the nation. Uh, They tune in to see that. And now that it's over and now that it's done, I'm glad it's over because I really feel like the way the world is, we need UNC Duke. Like, I need that. I need it. I, I think the networks need it. CBS needs it. Uh, Hubert Davis needs it. Hubert Davis, very emotional after the game. Uh, Mike Krzyzewski, like, let's send him out with one of the iconic matchups in sports for the final time under his tenure. I mean, it really is, like, one of the great rivalries in sports writ large anywhere in the world. So I just, Listen, I'm bro. glad that we have it. I'm glad I, that we have it. I am a University of Maryland Terrapin fan, so That's both right. of these ball clubs can eat my shorts. 
Who are I you? I hope who, it ends in a tie. <laughs> come on. Who would you who would you be pulling for if you would so are you gonna watch it? You're gonna watch it. Of course it. I'm come watching on, Jamel. It. What do you mean? Who would you vote? So you're just like hoping that both teams like die of dysentery. Well, uh, well, tie. They have they can't <laughs> the game ends a tie because of dysentery, but no deaths. Um, I man, I gotta go for UNC. I, yeah, I, I guess I, I'm rocking with UNC. I, I, I gotta, would not. I, I, I'm gonna rock. I, I, Hubert Davis is a Knicks legend. Hubert Davis. I gotta go for my guy, Hubert Davis. Yeah. I've never, I've never pulled for Duke ever in my life. I, yeah, I rolling can, with Duke I, is out. I can't start now. You can't, you can't in your adulthood all of a sudden start rooting for Duke. That is like a sign that you're a psychopath. And this is why St. Peter's is the story and I wish they won the whole thing. Isn't it funny how the D1 athletes who uh, didn't have to go to high school for real always find a way to get the perfect amount of motivation to win the tournament. It's like, shut up, man. You guys are all getting drafted. Even if y'all didn't make the tournament, you're all getting drafted. These kids, this is their last shot. They might get to assistant manager, use car lot based off of their play in this tournament. They need this. They do need it. It was like the classic scrappy underdog thing too of we're going to make a million mistakes, but like, some live action recreation of Hoosiers. We are just going to be in your sneakers for the entire game. And it's just one of those things where like, if you're a 15 seed, you have to win every effort category. You got to win rebounding. You got to win second chance points. You got to do all that stuff. And you can't ever let it get to double digits because who's going to score the ball like to get you there. And so Again, I enjoyed it, but I'm glad that they lost here because teams like that, the loss is always a double-digit blowout. Yeah, it ends in a kick in the head, but but at least we get a new uh, low-budget black basketball film soon. In about four years, there's going to be a movie on Bounce TV about this team. <laughs> Come on, a roster, a 94% black roster, black coaching jersey. This movie, this story was made for Bounce TV. I can't wait to watch it. Can't wait to see what role Taraji P. Henson plays in the project. <laughs> this shit is going to rock. I'm waiting for Shaheen Holloway to all of a sudden start uh, coaching a bigger program. It feels like, I hope that doesn't happen. I hope he stays there and because that was just, uh, it was really fun. What an incredible ride that was for like six days to just be like, I don't know, I'm like uh, rooting for this a kid with a mustache right now. That's all I know. Yeah, I hope it lasts forever, man. I, I mean, you know, we've seen some smaller schools build. I mean, I don't know where Butler is currently, but there's a path. There's a path for St. Peter's to take and build on this, and I hope they do, man. Don't poach. Oklahoma, leave this man alone. You don't ne- need him. You got football. It's fine. Uh, next up, Kyrie Irving. The Kyrie Irving saga, the saga that has... Uh, focus the attentions of the entire NBA watching world has finally been resolved. New York City has lifted the vaccine mandate for athletes and and performers, live performers, which means starting uh, this Sunday, today, against the Charlotte Hornets, Brooklyn Nets guard Kyrie Irving is eligible to play home games for the first time this season. Now, uh, this, you know, the... uh, Unions uh, representing 
New York City employees who were dismissed for not taking the vaccine are already uh, expressing their ire at this decision and what they feel is kind of like a, a special exemption made for, uh, you know, athletes and performers. Um, but, but here we are. The Nets did one good thing, which was not let uh, Kyrie Irving play. And now all of a sudden, Mayor Eric Adams, who uh, made news this week for showing an interest in giving the New York uh, Police Department drones, has reversed himself, but reversed this decision, and Kyrie Irving will play. Your thoughts, Jamel? I, you know, I know a lot of people are putting this on Kyrie solely, but there's a lot of different factors. Uh, the Legion of Skanks played a role in this. <laughs> um, the Yankees played a role in this. The entire Bronx played a role in this. Yes. His biggest mistake was that Kyrie Irving doesn't play for the Knicks. <laughs> that was if Kyrie Irving was playing for the Knicks... It would be Bing Bong Part 3, and wouldn't nobody have nothing to say. They would be at the Knicks game like, ooh, finally my tickets are worth something. <laughs> I will say that the, it was humorous to me following the uh, Brooklyn Nets fan discourse that uh, that was – uh, supporting the conspiracy theory that Eric Adams was not going to change the rule because he is a Knicks fan, which was honestly hilarious because <laughs> Eric Adams is just a wild guy. You know, like uh, you can g- go into it and ch- and check that out for yourself. But as I stated, like one of the things he's talking about is, is perhaps getting the NYPD drones uh, in the run up uh, during the election when it wasn't clear where he lived. He then showed off an apartment that it's clear belongs to his son. The guy is he is a former NYPD captain. He is like one of these crazy fitness junkies that drinks like weird smoothies with wow. three different blender stages in it. He is a crazy guy, but here he is. He's done this. Um, I am a little surprised that I'm a little surprised that he didn't first. I I think that there was a a way to to do this where you have two sets of rules: one for the Yankees and and the Mets, and one for uh, you know NBA teams, the Knicks and the Nets. By way of saying, you know, okay, baseball is played outdoors. Simply. Simply put, it's outdoors. The the uh, the dugout is open air. It's not like NBA basketball where you're inside sweating indoors with other people, directly sweating on like the person that is guarding you. You know, running into screens. Uh, it, you know, baseball doesn't have contact. So I, I'm a little surprised that uh, they did this as quickly. But we'll see the the uh, the tempest. Um, regarding the the New York City employees who have been dismissed is already starting up. Uh, Adam said, we're doing it because the city has to function. We're leading the entire country for the most part in unemployment. Um, and so here we are. Where the United Federation of Teachers has commented, if the rules are going to be suspended, particularly for people with influence, then the UFT and other city unions are ready to discuss how exceptions could be applied to city workers. Uh, we'll see if that happens do you think this is unfair to to the city workers who were dismissed for not getting vaccinated, Jamal? For sure, man. And I think what they need to do is give them all free bacon, egg, and cheeses. <laughs> Every city employee gets one free bacon, egg, hey, and cheese. Folks, <laughs> just take this voucher uh, down to your uh, nearest bodega and get yourself a bacon, egg, and cheese on Mayor Adams, folks. Yeah, and only I- on a roll. Don't You're not getting a hero. Just um, a roll, but it will be free. Uh, Aside from tax, you do have to pay tax. 
there's a story in the city uh, website, the city.nyc, uh, that quotes a bunch of small business owners. One of them, Mary Josephine Generoso, who uh, owns a pastry shop in Bay Ridge, uh, said, what the mayor did today, it's pretty sickening. Uh, continuing that, uh, you know, the pl- uh, people who were uh, working through the pandemic gave up their livelihoods and all of a sudden they're sidestepped because uh, the mayor wants to uh, support uh, basketball and baseball players. I, it's unfortunate that this has happened like this, but I'm sure Nets fans are going to be excited. And so with that part of the conversation over, let's take a look at the Nets the remaining schedule <laughs> all the way through the rest hey, of the regular season this brought Sunday. Brought to you by DraftKings. That's Let's right, go. Baby. Detroit, Milwaukee, uh, Atlanta, Houston, the New York Knicks, Cleveland, and finally Indiana. They are uh, sitting in seventh place, two games in the win column behind uh, seven. Uh, excuse me. They're in eighth place, two games in the win column behind seventh place Cleveland. Uh, I expect them to make some sort of a push in clear of the play-in uh, zone. What do you think? What, what do you see for uh, the, the New York Nets in the playoffs? Uh, I I do see them passing Cleveland at the very least. You know, Cleveland's kind of on a slide in. They got the head-to-head matchup in Brooklyn, Kyrie's favorite place to be. Uh, man, it's t- the, the East playoffs is like... You know, it's a big log jam. Detroit, that's a W. Uh, Milwaukee, Milwaukee Bucks. That's a, eh, ooh, because the, the Bucks been playing yeah. good. Uh, I'm going to say that's a loss. Okay. Atlanta, Atlanta Hawks. That's a win. Right. Houston, that's a win. That's a win. <laughs> We're just going to. Yeah. New York Knicks. Ooh. Uh, where's the game? Uh, at New York. So at MSG. I'm at MSG, damn. Ah, Nets win. Versus Cleveland. Now, this is going to be a this it, that's a huge game. Pencil that in uh in the coming days. So, I have at I Cle- have the Cleveland Nets at home. I'm saying Nets win. Cuz KD. KD. KD is the best. And Kyrie KD is like the best. there's nothing we can uh, do about it. Kyrie has been absolutely like fire-breathingly dominant. He, he played for his freedom. Arrested. He, <laughs> he played for his freedom. This is the standards that we set in this country. If you can do an in-and-out dribble and you can go reverse <laughs> one hand, yeah, you don't need vaccine. What if the vaccine <laughs> messed up his handles, Jason? You're absolutely right. Hey, We're listen, not talking we about know, that. We don't know the effect of long COVID on a, on a yeah, crossover. Exactly. So, the reason I got vaccinated is because I don't have to go to the rack at my writing job. So... Let's say first round uh, Nets Heat is would be the first round matchup potentially. Ideal, um, ideal or even for like the Nets. E- if they go crazy, it's not the Raptors are only two games ahead, so it's not crazy that it then becomes Nets Celtics, which is very interesting because the Celtics have basically been. I mean, if you look at the analytics, like Unstoppable. theoretically the best team in the East, the, like oh. the team that nobody is. I mean, I'm sure everybody I mean, you know, in our world, everybody's aware, but I don't think the yeah. general public understands how good Boston has been recently. They've been dominant defensively post all star. And yeah. again, the advanced stats will tell you that they are the best team in the East since the all star break. So that either whether it's Nets Heat or Nets Celtics, either uh, matchup is intriguing. I mean, do the Nets 
do the Nets run all the way to the to the Eastern Conference Finals? What do you think? I mean, it's not out of the question because the middle is like Cleveland and Chicago are dealing with injuries. Yep. Toronto's not real. I mean, I like how Siakam looks right now, but his best thing is being a rap line with the Miles Bridges song. <laughs> so, you know, that's not real. There's the real squads is Brooklyn, Boston, and Philly. Um, Philly. The Heat. These four teams, depending on yep. where they end up on the side of the brackets, it determines everything. I think the Bucks have a run in them. Uh, you know, they, yeah, they've been true. a little they've been a little flip the switch type, you know, a team this season. They've had that energy of like, yeah, we want it. We know we can do this again when we need to. I they just couldn't keep a backup guard. They don't, you know, they their their do- backup starter situation was messed up all year. And Brooke I- Lopez. That's true. And Brooke is back now. So here's my, I have no evidence to back this up other than my feeling of destiny and fate and all those things. I feel like the basketball gods can't let this happen, right? They can't let the, they can't let the nets thrive all the way to the chip, but I do see them getting to the uh, Eastern conference finals. I'm going to say, man, I'm going to say it's going to be like 76ers nets and I mean the, I, the whole I, the heater beefing they got Eric Spoelstra raising his voice you know that's bad I, for I his, his blood pressure you can't do that Eric Spoelstra heat legend it was interesting to watch the uh, the heat fans just kind of rally around their guy Spo like listen Jimmy Butler is here for a minute but Eric Spoelstra like came up through through like the the video team at the Miami Heat. This is a guy whose entire adult life has been in the service of the Miami Heat. Uh, This is a guy who remember when remember when LeBron bumped him like this is one of those things that just happens with it with the Heat because they get their DNA from Pat Riley. They're just like a very they care a lot. They are passionate players. They're passionate. They want to win. They drive very hard from the coaching staff on down. And I just feel like this is much ado about nothing that I actually enjoyed. Like I'll never forget when, when man, when LeBron bumped Eric Spolstra, I thought he was done. I thought that was it. I thought, I think they were like nine and eight or nine and nine at that time. Ah. Like this was the first year of, of Eric Spolstra and the, and the Heatles. And I really thought, Oh man, they're gonna fire this guy, and 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 Pat Riley is gonna come down from the front office, and he's gonna coach this team uh, because LeBron clearly wants this guy out, and they stood by him, and I think they'll they'll stand by him again, and I think it's probably much ado about nothing. But man, um, Nets are about to throw a huge wrench into the entire Eastern Conference. And Above everything, I am a Kevin Durant truther. Yes, t- talk to us. You have a special relationship. As a as a person from that area of the country, from Washington D.C., yes, PG Why, County, yes. yeah, I've been to I've been to some of the same carry as Kevin Durant. Yes, uh, tell us what what Kevin Durant means to that area. I mean, he's just the best. We have all decided. We've all seen it. He's the best. Nobody hoops better than him. He actually went to Berry Farms and hooped. He actually was at the Goodman League. He was actually in the hood. We actually, come on. He was on DC Assault. He, <laughs> if subpoenaed about 
the head of D.C. Assault's drug trafficking charges. He would not have answered any questions. We know this. And we just love him no matter what. It's, it's, it's Durant no matter what. He can do no wrong. And it just so happens he's also the fucking best. Uh, adding some spice to the Kyrie Irving story is that he has a player option for next season at uh, $36.5 million. Uh, I guess it's possible that he could decline and sign an extension, a five-year extension up to 240 plus million. Uh, that is on the table, but who knows what happens? I would imagine if you're Kyrie, you take the guaranteed money because, man, I, they are obviously a championship contender and a real threat to win the East and win it all. And Kyrie Irving is one of the most exciting players in basketball. But I think that there's a lot of stuff that comes with the Kyrie experience. And that'll be fascinating to see what happens there. Up next, uh, Deshaun Watson had his uh, introductory uh, press conference. Uh, He answered a bunch of questions uh, pertaining to uh, the pending civil litigation that he is facing. Uh, And... Uh, his answers, I'll just say uh, for myself, were not uh, terribly convincing. Jamel, your thoughts on the Deshaun Watson situation with the Cleveland Browns? Uh, obviously, I, I, I don't think he should be in the league at this moment. Oh. <laughs> uh, my, my first thought, I knew Deshaun Watson was strange as soon as he did that AWS ad. He was the first person to do a next-gen stats ad. And the way he sounded and the words he said made me feel off. I was just like, there's something wrong with this dude. I don't know what it is. Horrified to find out what it actually was. Uh, Bigger than that, uh, the Cleveland Browns need to let it go. I think it's time to get the Browns out of Cleveland. The city needs to win too bad. They have lost sight of all morals. The compass is broken. Yeah. It began when they signed Dante Stallworth, who did kill a man. Uh, he did run a man down uh, in the crosswalk in an apparent uh, DUI uh, DUI accident. He did do that. That did result in the in the a man losing his life. And from I just don't understand why LeBron James isn't enough for these people. The Browns need to be disbanded, defund the uh, police, and disband the Browns. So uh, one of the details that uh, about the Watson cases and I, that bothers me, and I think bothers a lot of people. Uh, you know, just is one of these details that I find, you know, uh, basically incriminating, I guess you'd say, uh, is that he employed some 40 massage therapists in the years that he was uh, with the Texans. He was asked about that. A uh, reporter said 40, you know, I just want to go back to the 40 massage therapists. That feels like a lot, you know, for a professional athlete whose body There's is a an temple. entire roster. Yeah, the entire it's like, NFL you know, roster of massage you know, mo- therapists. Most most big time athletes, they'll have like a couple, like maybe like a couple chefs or a couple trainers and like a backup one if that one's not available. But 40 massage therapists is a lot. Watson uh, said, quote, um, uh, let me see. 40 is just over the time. It's not in one period of time. I've been in Houston five years, so you had a different people. Like I said before, I can't get too far into details, but as businesses work and you move and meet different people and people have different schedules and blocks, you kind of meet people over time. Okay, so let me just say that 40, I mean, if you if you divide it out and we don't know like, you know, what the pace was here, but if you say like, okay, you were in Houston for five years, so that's eight a year or, you know, 
uh, that's eight massage therapists, different ones per year. Which is and insane. Then, like, which is insane. And then maybe if you like, you say like, is this just over the course of the season? I would imagine, you know, over the season, it's much more rigorous. You're playing and you're training. And so you'd need maybe more massages. So that would be like, you know, uh, five or six or seven massage therapists, like over the course of several months of a year. Again, that's a lot. That feels like a lot to me. It's crazy. Like, you wouldn't go to seven different people to get your hair cut. No. I'd go to one and I'd have a backup. And if you are a person working in massage therapy and you land Deshaun Watson as a client and you want to continue working for him, you're going to be available. Uh, one of the uh, details about these cases is that uh, Deshaun was contacting so many massage therapists that he apparently got, you know, as you would imagine, because there's 40 of them in this suit, that he got, he forgot that he had previously um, uh, worked with a massage therapist. So he contacted one that he had previously worked with and been weird with. And that massage therapist was like, hey, um, uh, yeah, sure, I'll, I'll massage you again, but you have to stop doing the weird sexual stuff. And then he didn't contact her again. And he went, he went, he went elsewhere, but he contacted one twice. That's how many there are. And here's another thing. So I saw some people were like, you know, like uh, Twitter and social media is not the best place to litigate this case at all. Okay. But still uh, keeping up with some of the comments about this and some of the people who are supporting Deshaun, like I've seen comments have been like, okay, but this was like, these are people that are like, uh, that are promoting uh, their businesses and their massage therapy business on uh, on 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 Instagram. So what does that tell you about what they do? That's like shows you that they're not legitimate. They were out. Yo, you know, Instagram like, is the only place you can advertise. Thank you. It, that, this is what I wanted to say. Instagram is a place where many, many people advertise. And the idea that somehow because it is a visual uh, photographic based medium that it is somehow a place where people uh, are uh, you know doing uh, promoting untoward businesses or illicit uh, services that's called tiktok hello like uh, i found all of my tattoo artists through instagram every barber that i've ever uh, that I've ever gone to in the last, certainly in the last several years, I've checked them out on Instagram first. Trainers, how many trainers uh, offer their services through Instagram and indeed during the pandemic offered classes through Instagram. It's that part of it is crazy. That is the, it is the most accessible form of marketing and promotion that people can can uh, use for their own small businesses uh, yeah, that is out and- there. And Facebook is done. Nobody makes Facebook events anymore. I've used Facebook. I've used Instagram ads. I uh, In 2021, I bought about $800 worth of uh, advertisements saying this for tax purposes. But it's absolutely true, Jason. I spent $800 and I do have receipts that I can't find right now, but I did do it. My one actual take on this was that I thought it was super funny that... Um, they didn't announce that he was going to be eligible to play until after Washington signed Carson Wentz. <laughs> <laughs> they waited one hour after this. And I was like, this is sick. This is sick and disgusting stuff. 
Uh, WNBA superstar and Phoenix center Brittany Griner uh, was detained at the Moscow airport in the weeks before the Russian invasion of Ukraine. She remains in custody, was recently uh, visited by uh, State Department officials who said that she is in good condition. Uh, but uh, further details of her legal status, status of her detainment, and uh, what it might take to get her out remain opaque. To help us kind of unpack all the details and concerns around Ms. Greiner's uh, detention uh, is an expert in Russian law, professor of law at University of Illinois, Professor uh, Peter Maggs. Professor Maggs, thank you for joining TakeLine. Thank you. Uh, so uh, you've written a number of books about Russian law, uh, and you're an expert in Russian law. First of all, I guess the one thing I've, I've been interested in is like, how does one become an expert in Russian law? My understanding of Russia is that they're, the standards of rule of law are much different than, than we are used to here in the West. Well, uh, there are different ways to do it. The way I did it goes back to my freshman year in college. And I needed to choose a foreign language. And I decided Chinese was too hard and Spanish was too easy. So I sort of <laughs> flipped a coin and picked Russian. And very few people studied Russian then. So the instruction was really good, like a native speaker with two students. It was almost like private tutoring. So I actually learned some. Then when I went to law school, there was on the law faculty, one of the leading American experts on Russian law. So I studied with him and he encouraged me to go on. And when I got out of law school, they were just starting up an exchange of uh, graduate students between the United States and the Soviet Union. And I got selected as one of the American participants in this exchange. And instead of having to go to work, I got a full scholarship from the US and Russian governments. So I spent a year there and was lucky again to study with a top expert in Soviet law there. Then after that, I've been teaching it for many years, writing on it and keeping up with it, going to Russia regularly uh, until COVID when I sort of shut down on international travel. Mm -hmm. And more recently, as you know, the State Department has strongly recommended against Americans going to Russia and saying, you can get in, but we're not guaranteeing you can get out. So yeah. So so what are some what are some of the um, what are some of the uh, you know hurdles that Miss Grinder is going to have to clear in order to get this resolved? Well, everything involving Americans in Russia during the Ukraine war has a political aspect. Right. So this is not like a traffic ticket. I've gotten the cost topped a couple of times by traffic cops in Russia talked about of a ticket by fast talking. <laughs> that was in times when things were good, but this is much more serious. Uh, I've also followed various criminal cases and you can divide them into ordinary crimes and things where there's political influence. And anything involving an American these days involves political influence. Thus, you need to look at the whole political context. But even where there's political influence, they're going to go through the formal steps required by the criminal code and criminal procedure code, which is what they have been doing. Everything 
formally has been by the book, so to speak. Do they have court? Like, in my mind, Russia is just run based on dashboard cam footage. Yes, they have courts. And there are a lot of ordinary cases. Uh, somebody bought something, he says it's no good, he wants his money back. Uh, there's a child custody fight when a couple gets divorced. And many of those ordinary cases are decided in a pretty ordinary way by ordinary judges. Probably not decided as well as in the United States or England, because in the United States and England, being a judge is a very high prestige job. And in Russia, it's a very low prestige job. So it does not end low pay. So it doesn't attract such good people as you get in the United States. And the judge is sort of viewed as a bureaucrat in the overall bureaucratic system, in which if you don't hear from the people above you, you just do your job. If you do hear from mm. people above you, when they say to jump, you jump. Um, what is your sense of – so Ms. Greiner has been uh, detained uh, because uh, the charges relate to her possession of you know, a controlled substance, essentially. Yeah. What is your sense – it has been suggested – I have not seen um, this – reported as fact anywhere, but it has been suggested that these charges are, you know, trumped up to some degree, certainly politically motivated. What is your sense of why these charges happened in the time that they happened? And uh, you mentioned the political angle. At the point that a trial becomes political in Russia, does that mean that basically there can be no resolution until the top political figures in the country decide that there should be a resolution? I think that's true. But going back to what you said first, various things can happen. And you can take two different scenarios. One scenario is some drugs are planted. And a number of opponents of the government have claimed that when they were arrested for drug offenses, that they had no idea that somebody had planted the drugs there. The police would arrive, uh, with a search warrant, they start searching and then they pull out some drugs. And these are real drugs because in their evidence room, they have locked up real drugs from real drug offenders. So it was the real stuff and it really was there, but the question was who put it there? Right. That's one type of drug offense. The other type of drug offense is you're a drug user, a drug dealer, and somehow the authorities come across what you're doing and what you possess and you're in trouble. And that may just be ordinary trouble, uh, may not have political consequences, but a big time drug dealer may get into quite serious trouble. And a small time user may still get into trouble for what you could go down to your corner shop here and buy legally in many states in the United States. So uh, it's very hard to know in general whether something is planted or something is real. If it's planted, it's obviously political from the point even before they find the drugs. But you don't you don't discount the possibility that something was potentially planted on Ms. Greiner. That is something that could have happened. It could have happened, and I think it has happened. And just a few days ago, the most outspoken opponent of the regime, Navalny, was yeah. convicted on completely fake charges. And given another nine or 13 nine years, years or something. Yeah. Yeah. So we know a political conviction on fake charges can happen because it happened a couple of days ago. 
On the other hand, thousands of people are convicted every day in Russia on perfectly real charges, often with fairly severe penalties. And occasionally, but it's a small percent, if they have a great lawyer, good luck they can get off if it turns out they're not charged. For instance, if you're charged under a controlled substance, there has to be a lab test to prove what it is. You can attack the accuracy of the lab test if you're a good lawyer. Another thing, the length of the minimum and maximum sentence depends on the quantity of the drugs and whether you are involved with a group of people doing bad drug stuff. And again, a good lawyer can try to get this pushed into a category such as a smaller quantity or possession and not dealing or possession and not smuggling. So uh, typically, lawyers rarely get somebody acquitted, but they do often get it moved into a somewhat lesser category or have some argument as to why the minimum rather than maximum sentence should be imposed. Does celebrity play a role in like Russian court decisions? I think celebrity does play a role. Uh, in particular, if you're famous for being an opponent of the regime, ah. it's going to play a real political role. On the other hand, if you're part of their scheme to dope their Olympic contestants, <laughs> yeah. your celebrity may protect you if you're uh, following instructions to take some enhancing substance. Yeah, because that's what I'm wondering, because, I mean, she's like a Russian celebrity. She's been playing ball in Russia for a few years. I'm wondering if that'll get her some juice. Shout out to OJ. I'm not going to elaborate. Well, I don't know which way that will go. Uh, mm. On the one hand, she's not a sort of undesirable character. She's sort of a role model as somebody who's worked very hard yeah. and gotten where she has in sports. On the other hand, if you take a hostage, the more valuable the person, the more valuable the hostage you've got. Yeah. The conditions that political prisoners in Russia through the Soviet years and into the uh, the Russian Federation years is, I think, varied. But it, just, do you have any kind of sense what a what a prisoner of the kind of you know, visibility of Brittany Griner would be held in? What kind of state should be should be held in? Well, there are two stages. Okay. One is the stage before you're tried, in which you're in some sort of pretrial detention holding facility. And then in the normal course of things, you're going to be convicted. And if it's a long term, you'll be sent to a labor camp. And there, there are different levels of labor camp, depending on how serious the crime, uncomfortable, more uncomfortable, and most uncomfortable. It appears uh, from what the State Department said that she's been held in fairly comfortable conditions so far. And of course, she's probably in top physical shape, so she could hold up better than many people could uh, under trying conditions. But uh, I think at this point, there's someone deciding what to do. And so they're going to hold her for a while, at least in fairly nice conditions. Do you think these conditions involve a basketball court? And I'm saying that completely seriously. I Do you think they're making her play basketball right now? I don't think so. But years ago, I was on the grand jury here in my hometown. Mm -hmm. And uh, 
under the local law, the grand jury has to go and inspect the county jail. We inspected it and had a very nice basketball court. But usually you don't have luxuries like that, particularly in the holding jails. The holding jails mm. are, for the average Russian, often worse than what you might get if you're sent to serve your sentence in a labor camp. Uh, um, I think, you know, here in the West, we're brought up just surrounded and immersed in this, uh, you know, the U.S. Uh, law system, which we are – details of which bombard us from TV shows, from movies, and through that we get this understanding of this kind of tradition that stretches back to like English common law, et cetera. What is the tradition of Russian law? Like what? what is the kind of – if you could just like sketch it out for us from – where does it come from and and what are the if, if there are any kind of like core philosophies behind it you know obviously the in the english common law tradition property rights etc those things are all very important what are the like the important things for for the russian system okay there is a much shorter tradition in russia and the present legal system was formed in the latter part of the 19th century and largely followed the german model of having very specific written codes, having courts with the German model of those days. It's, everything works much better in Germany now. They have really great courts and so forth, and totally fair. But <clears throat> the difference was in Russia, except for brief periods, when things were quite fair in the legal system, there were long periods when things were very unfair and orders were taken from the top. Uh, and uh, there were some brief periods in the 19th century, then brief period after communism fell where things were run pretty fairly, and the much longer periods of the czars and Stalin and Putin uh, have been ones where the courts have been quite subservient. Okay, so... Brittany Grant, I think we can all agree her detention is like politically motivated. They see her as a, like a, possibly an asset. Well, there are two possibilities here. Either the whole thing is made up and it's totally politically motivated, or they caught her with something and it inevitably became political given the right. current state of U.S.-Russian relations. And I don't know a lot, but I did watch Madam Secretary two times through. What are the odds that they plan to use her as like a bargaining chip? Are they going to try to like trade her for like Russian operatives that we have? Is there discussions when the State Department came and checked on her? They've certainly done that in the past. Many years ago, I was involved in a case where the U.S. got two Russian spies. And the Russians then arrested an American businessman in Moscow and you know, were cooperating with the State Department, the guy's business, which made the spare parts for the natural gas lines that distribute gas throughout Russia, stopped fixing them when they broke. Mm. So there were all sorts of things. And uh, the U.S. authorities said, this guy's just an ordinary businessman you made a case against. We're not going to give up two spies because you made up a fake case. They said, we want to get your top two or three dissidents in exchange for the two spies, which they did. Mm. So there was bargaining on both sides and some 
heavy pressure from the U.S. How do you see this resolving itself? I think it is tied to the whole resolution of the Ukraine situation. And nobody knows how that's going to get resolved. <laughs> yeah. If the U.S. said, okay, we'll stop sending arms to Ukraine, uh, Putin, you can have it. But by the way, we'd like you to release a few Americans. He'd say, fine, they'll be flying out first class on the next plane. But uh, that's not going to happen. On the other hand, as long as the situation is unresolved, mm. uh, you want to keep all your bargaining chips. Uh, as you know, Russians are great chess players. Yes. And one pawn will decide the game between grandmasters. Well, uh, he is Peter Maggs, professor of Russian law at the University of Illinois. Professor Maggs, thank you so much for uh, sharing your unique insight uh, on this very serious subject. Thank you very much for having me. Uh, well, uh, the quarterfinals of the UEFA Champions League begin this weekend. First legs, uh, we've got uh, Chelsea versus Real Madrid, Man City versus Atletico Madrid, Villarreal versus Bayern, Benfica versus Liverpool. And to help us unpack all of that, Wall Street Journal's Joshua Robinson, our, our champion of the Champions League. And, and first question, Josh, it has been revealed in a recent Wall Street Journal report that uh, former, well, Current, but soon we imagine to be former uh, Chelsea owner Roman Abramovich, who apparently has been taking a leading role in uh, in negotiations between Russia and Ukraine, has apparently uh, been poisoned or has exhibited the symptoms of being poisoned. Uh, how to, this is insane news that I never would have imagined uh, uh, reading or speaking or talking about even three weeks ago, but your reaction to that? Uh, it's it's a pretty extraordinary turn of events in all seriousness, um, yeah. where, you know, it, it, there are so few details are known that it's really yeah. difficult to, to speculate about where or why this is happening. Um, but it, it does show that Abramovich is, you know, we're, we're, we kind of are in a situation where you never thought a sports owner could be yeah. in this position. Right. Um, and, and the fact that this is happening is, is really extraordinary and tells you a lot about um, the, the journey the Premier League's been on over the past 25 years, where you've got uh, people who aren't just interested in sports and people who aren't just like investing in sports, but who are real movers and shakers in the world who happen to own soccer teams because they either like soccer or have other intentions. Um, you know, I think about this a lot when you come around to Man City, too. You think about the money that they've spent. The chairman of Man City is also the chairman of Abu Dhabi's Sovereign Wealth Fund. And if Man City spends a billion dollars or two billion dollars on talent over 10 years, that doesn't really matter when you consider that the Abu Dhabi Sovereign Wealth Fund runs a hundred billion dollars. It just tells you like what that the profile of owner in the Premier League has changed so immensely that the people who owned clubs 30 years ago can't even imagine it. It's truly insane. One, another thing I wanted to add that uh, this is new news. Uh, there is another proposal to uh, to uh, alter the way teams qualify for the Champions League. This on the heels of the failed uh, 
bid to create a European Super League. The uh, the so-called Swiss model, if enacted, would uh, basically use maths to uh, allow a team that has been historically good to get into the Champions League despite having a bad season. In other words, I would call it the PSG, uh, the PSG tweak, uh, perhaps. Uh, your thoughts on this? I'd call it more of a Man United tweak. Oh, I like it. Hey. Hey, hey, hey. Hey, now. You know, in case you finish fifth or sixth or seventh. Just in case. Yeah, you get them in again. Um, it's, you know, we knew that UEFA was always going to make major changes to protect the big clubs. The Super League, in that sense, and, and these changes were super unpopular when they first proposed them a couple of years ago. And then the Super League happened, and that gives UEFA cover to say, hey, in effect, we're the least bad option. And, you know, so they still protect the biggest clubs. Uh, it's not the Super League. They still have the redistributive finance model. Um, and they can say, you know, everyone, they, they can argue, and, and I'm not sure I buy it, but that you do want the biggest clubs in the Champions League year after year. And, you know, if a Man United misses the Champions League or, you know, in some other crazy situation as was shaping up for half the season, like a Barcelona misses it, mm. um, you know, they can say, well, we're still protecting this competition and making it the most prestigious thing we have. I hope the rule is enacted, but then they have to bring back like Newcastle or something like the I want the math to be fucked up the other way. Like now we're all watching teams from the 80s. Uh, Newcastle's working on it. Don't worry about it. <laughs> They've got a cash of money uh, incoming. <laughs> oh, you you want you want previous European champions like Aston Villa and Nottingham Forest back in. Oh, I love the Nottingham Foresters. Let's get that. Exactly. Let's get the trees back in there. Exactly. Going to these first legs, uh, any hope for Villarreal versus Bayern Munich? In, in your, you know, can you see any any daylight there for them? It's not the kind of game that Bayern tends to mess up. Um, they they tend to be just extremely extremely reliable until the semifinals, um, and then all bets are off. But I just don't see Villarreal having like the kind of strength over two legs to trouble Bayern. Is Bayern ever going to get too old? Yeah, I know, right? Why do they keep being good? <laughs> They're already. Um, but, you know, Bayern, Germany is the kind of league, and they, Bayern has figured out what PSG has, which mm. is how to manage, like, a kind of, I would say, tier one and a half league and, like, protect your best players, make sure that they're ready to perform uh, in Europe. Um, in a way that PSG has a bunch of guys who like don't care about the league most of the time in a very visible way and then are not sharp when the, t when the time comes. Um, Bayern is just like a machine that runs for this part of the season. They also have like a really, really long winter break uh, that helps a lot. Mm -hmm. So, you know, while the Premier League teams come in and traditionally were cooked by this time of year, Bayern was rested and tanned and fit. Um, and, you know, the Premier League's trying to fix that. And also the squads are much deeper now than they used to be. But, yeah, I mean, that that was the secret for the longest time. Like, the winter break changed everything. And I would be, I would be super pissed if I was playing against a guy who just got off vacation. I know, me too. Like, I've been in the trenches for months, and now I got to go to Germany. You're like, oh, I just... 
I just got back from Monaco. What's popping? Right. It's like, are you a Premier League guy who played, you know, eight times in seven days over Christmas? Uh, and then, <laughs> and then, you know, Bayern is like coming back from Doha. That's that makes a difference. Um, speaking of countries, Ukraine. So they are they've always played kind of a big role in Champions League. You could always see Dynamo Kiev or uh, Shakhtar Donetsk in the. They would be one of these squads would be in this round, and they're not around now. Obviously, what's the future of Ukrainian football like? Are they even gonna have a league going forward? I mean, as as we know, Ukraine has much more pressing problems than yeah. the future of the league. Um, it's I, I think that the football universe, at least, will be very charitable towards Ukraine. You know, going forward, they're not gonna say like. Uh, sorry, you didn't play, so you're shut out of everything. Um, you know, mm. there's just a lot of unknowns there. And I think if, uh, you know, Dinamo Kiev or Shakhtar has to be grandfathered into European competition like a couple of years from now, then UEFA is probably going to be inclined to do that. Keeping in line with that line of, of discussion, Chelsea versus Real Madrid is a pretty fascinating matchup. Chelsea thus far, the the defending champion, has seem to kind of uh, uh, been really admirably weathering the uh, intense interest and upheaval that is kind of swirling around the team. Um, what do you see for that matchup? And, you know, thus far we've seen that uh, it appears that there's two uh, American buyers that seem to be the, the front runners to uh, purchase Chelsea. Um, is... What can you tell us about those those competing bids and what perhaps the EPL is looking for, the British government would be looking for in a buyer for that team? I mean, look, we're, we if an American buyer is successful in the Premier League, we're going to end up in a situation where nine of the 20 Premier League clubs have at least some American interest. And it's so popular with the, with the British audience. They love that. They really love the American audience. They can't, they can't get enough of they the They can't get enough of the American um, You know... People who come in and try to run a money-making business, which yeah. means like not spending wildly and trying to balance the books, fans love that. Yeah. Um, what we would get, I think, with uh, an American buyer, but but on the other hand, from the Premier League's perspective and the UK government's perspective, an American buyer very easy to deal with. Um, it's it's kind of the dream situation for them because. You know, the, the books are easy to check in on. The sources of money uh, are easy to document. And it's not going to be, you know, they're, they're pre-vetted by uh, whatever business they were already in. So, you know, someone who's been, who's had a career on Wall Street already comes into the Premier League and the Premier League is like, you know what, okay, this is fine. We know, we know what they're about. We know how they do business and it's going to be, uh, you know, everything appears legitimate and non-problematic. So the Premier League is happy to wave those people in and the UK government is as well. Uh, there's no concerns over human rights. There's no concerns over possible government interference. So, you know, in a case like Chelsea, I think whichever, whichever American bidder puts up, the, puts up the most money will get waved through. Uh, what it means for the club is interesting because 
obviously they've gotten used to a certain standard of living. Uh, Chelsea is, you know, quietly spending, has quietly spent hundreds of millions of dollars in recent summers, even after we thought the era of Chelsea's crazy spending from like the 2000s was over. They even had a transfer ban and then they came back around in the next window and blew more than a quarter billion dollars on talent. Um, so it's, it's not going to be the same under, under American owners just because they come in thinking they're going to recoup their investment in a way that Roman Abramovich never cared about because it wasn't about that. It was about winning. I wanted to ask you about this. Uh, you wrote a, a really fascinating uh, feature on Marcus Rashford that I urge anybody uh, who has a Wall Street Journal subscription to go out and check out. Very, uh, very interesting guy. Um, anything surprise you about about your time with, with Marcus? Uh, I, I really enjoyed talking to him. And it's rare, I think, to get uh, to get a, a footballer these days who is willing to listen to your question and like think it through first. And I really he's he's just such a considerate. He, he considered every question and really thought about it and made an effort to say something meaningful to him, um, which I really appreciated. And he's he really is a fascinating guy because the, the issues he's talking about, which for anyone who doesn't know, um, was mainly around uh, getting kids who and families who depended on free school lunches access to those when schools were shut down during the pandemic. Um, and that expanded into a larger uh, childhood hunger program. Um, and he spoke from a place of real knowledge on this because he lived it. He was one of those kids who depended on the free school lunches while he was trying to become a, a professional athlete and living out his dream of playing for his, his the team he supported as a kid, uh, Man United. And he's done a lot of great work there and got himself to a position where, the, you know, the British government had a lot of very unpopular policies around this. And he, he created such a popular movement and such a such a clearly like right issue, you know what I mean? Um, where it's, there's, there's not really two sides to this. It's, you can't let kids go hungry. And Marcus Rashford was trying to fix this um, and it got to the point where he provoked government U-turns. And he's, he's just a really fascinating, soft-spoken, um, like speaking from the heart kind of guy. Oh. And yeah, he's... I mean, he, this is a guy who's going to have a career far beyond football and make an impact far beyond football. Um, Italy, knocked out of another World Cup, lost to North Macedonia. The hood, the hood part of Macedonia defeated Italy in World Cup qualifiers. They're knocked out now. There's no Italian teams in the quarters in Champions League. I mean, is this... Is this good for football? Did Italy just need a break after just years of just solid defense and corruption? Did they just need a break? Isn't it crazy that Italy, in a period where they won the European Championship, right. they're defending European champions, but you look back at the past 15 years of Italian football, and it still probably goes down as one of the darkest periods in their history. Um, 
So they won it. In, they won the World Cup in 2006. 2010, out in the group stage. 2014, out in the group stage. 18 and 22, don't even qualify for the World Cup. Um, you know, the, the quotes from the Italian players after the North Macedonia game were just like pure opera. Yeah, suicidal, dire stuff. We we are destroyed. (laughs) And and but the amazing thing is that it's Italian soccer players. So when they say we are destroyed, we're destroyed. I believe them. Yeah, they mean it. Yeah, yeah, they really mean it. Um, it's it's a tough moment for them, and it's you know, Italian football is in a difficult position where they more than any other big league in in Europe depend so heavily on television money. The other parts of their income are just not there. It's a league that also hasn't had a major kind of across the board stadium facelift since Italia 90, the yeah. World Cup, um, because that's that's the real driver of stadium investment. So, you know, you've got Juve, which built itself a new stadium 10 years ago, but no one else is really doing that. A lot of clubs are playing, big clubs are playing in these like hulking, crumbling uh, buildings that don't make it appealing for fans to go. The TV money is not, it is still way behind the Premier League and even the Liga. Um, and it, it's it's just a creaking ship kind of floating at sea that's not, that doesn't really have a direction. You know, uh, even the biggest clubs that have had major investment in recent years, like Inter, have suddenly seen that investment dry up because that was a Chinese billionaire uh, whose business heavily suffered uh, during COVID and the club could not pay the, its lavish salaries anymore. So it's it's just kind of spinning its wheels to mix metaphors. And uh, yeah, it, it, and it means that like the money then doesn't trickle down into development and to, to turning over the players. Um, and then finally, let's, let's, let's get your thoughts on some predictions here. Now, um, the... With Arsenal threatening to finish top four, I think we all agree that it's Arsenal's era uh, starting next season and every it's season after that, us. right? I would but, say uh, it's upon us. An era of dominance, of pure once they dominance. Hand us, once they hand us Vlaovic right. and, just, and just get out of the way. A, a, a hegemony by Arteta's men out there across Europe. But for now... Uh, give us some. Give us some. Uh, your prediction for uh, the quarterfinal semis and the finals. Who do you see? Who do you see playing for it all? Uh, I, I think. I mean, I think ultimately, Real for the magic they produced against PSG, like will not go that much further. Um, mm-hmm. Sticking my neck out here against like you know the greatest Champions League team in history, uh, but they like fundamentally they rely too much on on just moments of magic from individuals named Karim Benzema. Um, but it's, they're an old team. They're, they're not that exciting in a lot of ways. Um, and Chelsea is so solid back to front yeah. um, that I, I don't, I think over two legs, they should be able to get through, you know, and assuming none of the, the administrative chaos seeps through into the team, which it hasn't so far. Mm-hmm. You know, Chelsea have to be one of the favorites to defend it. Um, Bayern, of course, you know, fresh and tan as they are, uh, we'll see probably into the semis, possibly a final. And then, you know, really, honestly, it's just tough for me to look past the Premier League at the moment. Liverpool, City, Chelsea, I think any of those teams could win it. He is the Wall Street Journal's Joshua Robinson. Joshua, thank you so much. Always a pleasure. 
yeah, you know what that sound is? It is time for the dramatic, triumphant return of Take Survivor. Joining us today, he is the producer of Take Line. He is Ryan Wallerson. Ryan, how are you? I'm good. I'm good. I'm ready to play my first round of Take Survivor, man. He is a stand-up comedian, a co-host of several podcasts, including Airbud, Sorry We Love NFL, NBA Storytime, and more. He is the great Jamel Johnson. Jamel, how are you? I am exactly fantastic. He is a writer on All Caps NBA and a stand-up comedian and a Phoenix Suns fan. He is Aaron Edwards. Aaron, how are you? I'm doing good. Watching uh, James Harden flop right in front of me. You know how things are. (laughs) (laughs) He is the host of Stuck with Damon Young here at Crooked Media and also a 2020 recipient of the Thurber Prize. He is Damon Young. Damon, how are you? I'm good. I'm just hanging like wet clothes. I mean, I'm I'm good right now. Folks, welcome to Take Survivor, uh, the game where only the strongest take wins. Here's how it goes. Three rounds, first two rounds, all of you will vote for the weakest, the worst take in the round, and that person will be eliminated from the island. In the final round, y'all will be voting for the strongest take, for the winner. Don't worry, these instructions will come back to you again before the final round. Are we ready to begin? Yep, let's go. First prompt. (laughs) Best underdog ever. In any genre, I'm talking David and Goliath, the actual biblical David versus Goliath. I'm talking the 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 Roadrunner. I'm talking any genre, not just sports. Best underdog of all time. Ryan, let's start with you. Who is the best underdog ever? I'm going to go with Tom from Tom and Jerry. Wow. Because while he went down pretty much all the time to Jerry from numerous, numerous facets, right? He never gave up, and most of those episodes, he had us thinking as kids, damn, this really might be it for Tom. He might really get him here. And when he fucked up, when he finally, like, came down and he would fall, more times than not, it was by his own doing because Jerry, like, got into his heart. Like, but he was always down for the smoke because Jerry's formidable, man. Jerry's an absolute menace. Like, there are not a lot of cats out here, cats or non-cats that can contain human cats like human cats alien cats inanimate cats metal cats like okay i'm gonna go with tom man respect to tom so that is uh ryan wallerson with tom uh jamel who is the best underdog ever a uh, quick honorable mention to uh the 2006 george mason patriots big up oh. to my guy the team that got jim laranaga his retirement money <laughs> Shouts out to Tony Skin, everybody in PG County. We love you. Thank you for coming across the bridge. My actual <laughs> answer, squints in the sandlot. Whoa, whoa. <laughs> right. Squints. A child, a pervert. <laughs> Both a child and a pervert. The pause. Defeats. He he overcomes all of the odds, devises a sinister plan to make out with really the does. grown woman he's obsessed with. It really does. It's troubling, that relationship. Not only does it work, he marries the woman. He has several kids. They probably got a daycare now. 
Well, an incredible <laughs> answer from Jamel Johnson. Uh, Aaron, best underdog of all time. Best underdog of all time. I'm going with the Little Saints from the motion picture You Got Served. Ooh. You heard of it? Ooh. You heard of it? Wow. They lost. They got washed by the dance crew that knew all of their dances. They rallied around the little homie, little Saint getting blasted. And they ended up pulling it off at the end. I mean, what's better than that? Like a whole team jacks your whole thing. And you come back and rally around your boy and win a whole dance competition. It don't get better than that. I'm sorry. That's it. <laughs> Aaron Edwards with the little saints from the film. You got served. Damon, who is the best underdog of all time? I feel like this answer should be obvious, man. It's humanity. We are <laughs> oh, the biggest dude. underdog that has ever existed. Well, I mean, just think of just think of all the shit that that needs to happen for us to live. All right, all right. For the first twelve years of our life, we're useless. We are defenseless. We could get eaten. We could get stabbed. We could get shot. I mean, there are viruses that are here just to kill us. I mean, there are fucking solar flares, aliens, diseases, water, um, white people, casserole, all this shit. Takis. <laughs> on, on, on the planet Earth that exists here to kill us. You know what I mean? And just the fact, just, just the fact of our own existence, us versus the universe, us being here is a fucking miracle. We are St. Peter's. Fuck St. Peter's. I went to Kanisha's cause. We are Kanisha's. Kanisha <laughs> hasn't been in the tournament since 1995. We are Kanisha's college, right? Playing against my fucking um the 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 the, the three P you know heat or they didn't three P. But um anyway, yeah, humanity, humanity humankind. There's there's no bigger, no greater underdog than us. Living those on this are planet. our answers. Let's go to the voting. Uh, a reminder. Everyone here will be voting for the worst take, and the voting starts now. Please DM uh, Zuri with your vote. Will it be? Who will be eliminated from the island first? Will it be Ryan, who says, yes, I know a cat is the natural predator of a mouse, but I'm picking Tom and Tom and Jerry as my greatest underdog of all time. Will it be Jamel? who uh, shouted out the 2006 JMU Patriots, but then said Squints. Squints Palidorus, the perverted future offender, Squints Palidorus, is the greatest underdog of all time. Or will it be Aaron, who says, uh, you remember uh, how Elgin rolled and you got served and how he brought it back and, and was victorious against all odds with his newly named crew, the Little Saints? The Little Saints from You Got Served. Or will it be uh, Damon, who says... Yes, uh, we are the most dominant creature on the planet with this big old brain, but it's actually humanity is the greatest underdog of all time. Yes, we have nuclear weapons and we cook our food and we wear clothes, but <laughs> it's much more tenuous than you think. We're, we're fighting uphill. Votes are coming in right now, and let's take a look. Okay, and uh, here comes the voting, and we have one vote for Ryan. We have one vote for, oh, we're uh, adding them up. We have one vote for Jamel. We have another vote for Ryan. And our last vote, is this our last vote? Yes, this is our uh, last vote and first elimination from the island. Ryan Wallerson has been eliminated from the island. Ryan, what do you have to say? <laughs> uh, I want the way of Tom, man. 
I went with my heart and I lost. <laughs> so this cat is out. <laughs> okay. Uh, prompt number two, round number two. Which video game, what video game should be adapted into a film? We recently got the uh, Tom Holland and Mark Wahlberg a vehicle Uncharted based on the long-running uh, Sony uh, video game Uncharted, the Uncharted series of video games. What video game should be adapted into a film? Let's start with you, Damon. Damon, what video game should be adapted? I'm, I'm thinking that we should adapt NBA Live. Wow. Uh, <laughs> oh. And then said lie. He did not say 2K, yeah, people. That's he right. Not my, say my, 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 and, and my rationale for this <laughs> is that basketball movies are typically terrible, right? Well, the, 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 the movie itself isn't terrible, but the depiction of basketball yes. in it is. And it's because there are no actors who can yeah, play right, basketball. The crossover is, the, right? the Venn diagram is very small. And it's not... And basketball is not a sport like baseball or football, where if you're athletic, you can run and jump. You could realistically portray like a superstar athlete. With basketball, you need like the skill set. So we need to find <laughs> not basketball players who can act, but the <laughs> actors who can play basketball. Put them in this movie. You get like Rob Brown, who was who was Iron Man, the Forrester. Um, You're the man now, God. Wayne, the Wayne Martin. Dwayne Martin yeah. um, and what's for sure um, Ali also played D1 college basketball and again <laughs> the basketball scenes in movies are always terrible so why not you know have a depiction of NBA NBA Live and and boom and actually get the actors who what, okay give me the uh, so NBA Live famously has been defunct for a number of years because they just they just fumbled yes. the bag in a most in a absolutely tragic way Bring in the it, face of competition reboot. from uh, 2K <laughs> what is your ele- give me your elevator pitch for uh, NBA Live the movie starring Marshala Ali <laughs> what is your elevator pitch? You know, the reboot might make Ken jump with Jack Harlow. We saw Jack Harlow play in that NBA, you know, celebrity game, and he's terrible, right? And so let's actually get a basketball movie with niggas who can actually okay. I love As long as they got the little icons underneath yeah, that's them, what, that's I'm what going. we want to yeah, see yeah, in the like movie. Uh, yeah. Up next, yeah. Aaron, what video game should be adapted into a film? I think that it should be um, Crash Bandicoot. Oh, but you just use it with a you just kind of use it with a human though because you can get any nigga in just Wait. Levi's and red chucks <laughs> to just like run around the city. It's just yeah. like a live action Levi's crash bandicoot, just running around the city like trying to get treasure and dealing with Mister Robotic or like like all his villains. Like he got wild villains that could kind of get racial sometimes if you base it in Africa like it's supposed to. But if you just make it based in America, you can kind of like. Get, get around all of that stuff. You don't have to deal with the Abuda Bakas and like all that stuff. You can just get straight to it. <laughs> In the interest of fairness, what is, give me your elevator pitch right now for Crash Bandicoot, the film. Dude finds out at his, I don't know, like at his condo, but I want to say not condo, but you know, like the worst version of the condo. Like he's in the okay. hood and he finds out that there's like a treasure and he has to, go from different areas of the city to find certain treasures. And then at the end, he finds out that Mr. Robotic, probably a billionaire, is the one that's keeping his city I love it. Uh, Next up, Jamel. Jamel, what video (laughs) game should be adapted into a film? 
Oh, uh, I literally wrote down Crash Bandicoot too, so I have to do the. Uh, I have to. I have to write down. I. I. But we can. We can port that. We can port that easily. Spyro the Dragon, uh, the natural. The natural companion to Crash Bandicoot. Spyro the Dragon, starring Tom Hardy as a purple wow. dragon who shoots flames. We get Christian Bale involved as well. Fun for the whole family. Uh, give me the in the interest of fairness what is your elevator pitch for Spyro the Dragon the movie listen uh, the he- the head of uh, Miramax Films it's is Spyro Weinstein the Dragon currently currently locked up oh. for the number of years Harvey are you listening still? we got a pitch for you baby this is way back he's still well I hope your cell reception is good sir because I got a movie for you and it is hot like fire All right, let's go to the voting. Who will be the second eliminatee from the island of Take Survivor? Will it be Damon, who says, in a world in which NBA Live no longer exists as a video game franchise, Mahershala Ali and Jack Harlow bring the famed video game series to the silver screen? Or will it be Aaron, who says... uh, uh, Crash Bandicoot the movie and it is the story of a, of a young man who discovers that there is a treasure somewhere in the hood and he puts on his overalls and he goes out and he runs and finds it. Or will it be Jamel who says Spyro the Dragon <laughs> starring Tom Hardy and Christian Bale. It is the uh, touching story of Spyro the Dragon, a video game that I didn't play and so I don't know what the story is. Who will it be? The votes are coming in now and we have one vote for Damon to be eliminated from the island. We have one vote for Jamel to be eliminated from the island. We have one more vote for Jamel to leave the island. Yeah, I voted for myself. I you, okay. <laughs> <laughs> it just felt like the right thing. It just felt like the right thing to do. And it's three votes to one, including the vote for himself. Jamel Johnson is the second eliminatee from the Take Survivor Island, uh, Jamel, what do you have to say? Uh, I let I let the family down. Uh, <laughs> go watch Spyro Dragon in theaters uh, next summer. I don't know. Uh, well, listen, Harvey Weinstein is just absolutely salivating at the prospect of oh. of adapting Spyro the Dragon. And now we go to the finals, folks. This is it. The finals. It is Aaron versus Damon in the finals of Take Survivor. And the question is. What is the greatest Oscar snub of all time? Now, I'm not talking about just who won an Oscar or who should have won an Oscar or who should have been nominated for an Oscar. It's anything. If you think uh, John Borman's 1980 film Excalibur should have been Best Picture, that's the greatest snub, and that's the greatest snub of all time in your mind, then that's it. Uh, Greatest Oscar snub of all time. It can be uh, nominations. It can be wins. Are we ready? Aaron, what is the greatest Oscar snub of all time? Greatest Oscar snub of all time is from the movie Pop Star, Never Stop, Never Stopping, making so many bangers and not a single one of them being nominated in the Oscars for best musical song or soundtrack or anything. It didn't get nominated for anything at the Oscars. The movie is super underrated. They made bangers. They made Bin Laden. They made Mona Lisa. They made 
gay. They made all these songs and not a single one of them got nominated. And it just seems egregious that they did all that work. Put out an actually really good album. If you listen to it, the album is actually good. And not a single vote was put in for them. Strong answer. Uh, you could argue that Popstar got fucked like they fucked Bin Laden uh, <laughs> in the uh, category of not getting nominated for an Oscar. Damon, what is the biggest, the greatest, the most vile Oscar snub of all time? Greatest snub, I think, of, of all time is probably Tyrese in the whole fast vibe. The TCU, Toretto uh, Cinematic Universe. And okay, so, and, 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 and their little crew or whatever, crew of, you know, um, car thieves and hijackers and, and everything. He is probably like the 13th most important person. Like he's, he's the definition of, of non-essential for what he does in the crew. But cinematically, cinematically for us, for the audience, he's the third most important person. Like there's, obviously there's Vin Diesel, Dom Toretto, number, <laughs> he's number one. And then the villain, whoever the villain is, number two. But Tyrese is the audience avatar. He is the only one who expresses like, yo, this is some bullshit what we're about to do. <laughs> yo, we've been, we've, been, we've been on like 15 missions and none of us have even broken a nail. What the fuck is up going on? So he, he's the only one who is centered in reality, in, in any aspect. And also, too, there's a recurring joke throughout this whole thing about how he is like, how he has a big forehead, how he's an attractive big head. When Tyrese is one of the six or seven most handsome niggas on the planet, Right, like he is the only, he is one of the two people that my wife has like a hall pass for, and yet he has managed to portray, you know, someone who is convincingly ugly enough to be teased by the rest of these misfits. Misfits. All right. So again, Tyrese. Again, he is important to this multi-billion-dollar franchise. Gets no love. Gets gets shit on on Twitter for good reason. Um, but again. <laughs> he is, you know, the greatest snub of all time. And they have like 16 of those movies. They can't nominate him for one of them. Man, incredible answers. Let's go to the final. Reminder now for all our voters, this is the final. You're voting for the winner. Now, the, our two contestants do not vote in this case. The, the voting block is Jamel, uh, Ryan, and Zuri. You will be voting for the winner of Take Survivor. And who will it be? Will it be Aaron? who said, you know what? Mona Lisa, you're an underrated piece of shit. So will it be Popstar who says, why didn't Popstar win uh, several Oscars for Best Original Soundtrack? Will it be Damon who says, where's my where's my Lifetime Achievement Award slash Best Supporting slash Best Actor nomination for Tyrese in every single Fast and the Furious movie in which he provides the comic relief. He flies a, a you know, like a, a small Japanese hatchback into space. He does all these things that are very important in terms of keeping the vibe right. Votes are coming in now. We have one vote for Aaron. Uh, we have one vote for Damon. And the deciding vote for our champion of the returned the rejuvenated take survivor is for our champion. Damon. Damon, congratulations. Welcome to NBA Jam. 
Nick! What do you have to say upon winning uh, the rejuvenated take survivor today? <laughs> I, I did not anticipate this. I, I had one and a half takes prepared. Um, I thought I would get eliminated um, early. Um, thank you for all, the, for all three of the voters. Um, I really appreciate you. I can send you all an edible, edible arrangement if Ooh. you send me your, 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 your addresses in the Zoom. Um, you know, I it was a great competition with Aaron. You know, he was a great, great, great competitor. He brought it. Um, you brought it. He, he brought it too. So again, I appreciate it. Thank you so much. And um, yeah, I'm going to go celebrate. I love it. And that has been it. For Take Survivor. Join us next time, folks. Goodbye. That's it for us. Follow and subscribe to us on Apple Podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts. Don't forget to subscribe to Take Line Show on YouTube for exclusive video clips from this episode, plus my digital series, All Caps NBA, which airs every Friday. Check it out. Bye. Take Line is a Crooked Media production. The show is produced by Ryan Wallerson and Zuri Irvin. Our executive producers are myself and Sandy Gerard. Engineering, editing, and sound design by the great Sarah de Alaska and the folks at Chapter 4. And our theme music is produced by Brian Vasquez. Mia Kelman is on the Zoom for Vibes, and the vibes are fantastic all the time. <laughs>